At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, your host for this episode of Under the Dome for the week of Monday, December 19th, 2022. I'm here today with a member of your North Carolina General Assembly, Senator Jim Perry, a Republican from Kinston. Thanks for coming. And thanks for having me. He was appointed, first appointed in 2019 as Majority Whip. He chairs health and health approach committees and is also on roles redistricting and big approach, which everyone knows is the budget. So first question, how'd you get here? Uh, it was uh, a funny story. I was an unlikely candidate. Uh, I was never involved in politics, so I wasn't involved in political parties or you know, didn't have a, a great interest Um Legislation was introduced in the General Assembly that would have put my business out of business overnight. So I had to learn to walk the halls to talk to lawmakers and learn more about the political process to try to stop that from happening. Uh, I still had no desire to serve. I always said there's no way in the world I would ever do something like that. And, um, you know, as as things can happen, I, we, we sold a, a company and uh, I happened to have, I guess, perfect timing to be available when Senator Lewis Pate couldn't serve after he was elected. And uh, I always say that my, my wife is smarter than I am because I, I traveled for about 20 years. And, um, you know, after we sold the company, I was going to be home a lot. And I think that scared her to death. So she, she encouraged me to uh, throw my hat in the ring for the appointment and, uh, you know, did some soul searching and decided that uh, if I had the time and the opportunity, if I was not willing to serve, then I deserved whatever representation I got. So I thought that, you know, I should take my turn and see what I could do for my community. Well, I mean, I think anyone in districts where someone's appointed, it's the, I mean, the local party has already decided who they want. Why do you think they were, they were looking at you? Well, you know, it's, it's tough because that district covered two counties. So while my local party uh, may have wanted to support me and, the, and they did, uh, you know, I had to get to know a lot of new people in the appointment process and, uh, you know, form a lot of new relationships quickly. Uh, you know, I, I try to take a reasonable approach. I, I can disagree with you on an issue and talk about the issue, and it it doesn't mean that I I hate you. I'm not uh, overly animated. Um, I'm not that easily excitable on issues, and I just think that resonated with people. So, how did you get for really only? I mean, 2019. So we're looking at three years, less than four years. So you're, you've already been whip and you're going to be whip again and you're chairing some pretty powerful committees. So how did you how did you get there? Who did you talk to? Who did you work with? Uh, where you where you reached that? So, uh, you know, the 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 whip position is elected by our caucus members. So 
uh, that's based upon somebody being willing to do it, wanting to do it, and um, you know, securing the support of your caucus members. So I had to talk to uh, many different people. Um, chairmanships are decided solely by the uh, the president pro tem of the Senate. So those are Senator Berger's uh, decisions. I have a background in healthcare. I was in the dental industry. And uh, before that, I worked in the acute care industry. So I was around hospitals. And uh, my my wife's actually a nurse. So I, I guess they felt like healthcare would probably be a, a, you know, a reasonable area for me to work in. So since you mentioned healthcare, we can switch over more on the issue side and the I used to make the joke, it was about 2019, I think, when I uh, first started, maybe the year before, first started covering state government and on the on the budget, Medicaid expansion was the big stalemate uh, over negotiations between Democratic Governor Roy Cooper and the Republican legislative leadership, which was Speaker Moore and Senator Berger then and is now. But the change is that uh, everybody likes the idea of Medicaid expansion, it's the how and the convincing. So where do you think we are, we as a state, on the way Medicaid expansion is now that the House and the Senate are just have different views of what they would want the bill to be and what that's actually going to look like if something's going to pass or not? So that, you know, that's not uncommon that the House and the Senate have different views on legislation. Uh, it's not uncommon that individuals up here have different views on issues. I actually think it's pretty healthy. You, you know, I've learned a lot about uh, Medicaid, having been a chair of, of Health and Human Services and uh, health care. Um, I've gotten there on a financial front, you know, understanding the financial impact and that you know, it impacts everyone. My, my constituents back home that have commercial insurance, their commercial insurance is more expensive because we haven't expanded Medicaid. Uh, property taxes are higher in these counties that have jails because we haven't expanded Medicaid. Most people don't understand that. The, the county is on the hook for the, the health care for everyone in that jail. Um, you know, there, there's so many nuances. The hospitals have to provide uh, certain levels of charity care. I know that's been a hot topic lately, but, you know, they all provide some level of charity care. In addition, if someone shows up and has an emergency by federal law, the hospitals have to stabilize that person. Well, someone's paying that nurse or that doctor, whether the patient can pay or not, and we end up seeing cost shift to other areas. So the, the more I learned about it and really understood what was going on, Everyone has health care today. Everyone. It's just that in some, um, for, for some people, it's just catastrophic care, right? So instead of paying for them to uh, go visit a primary care provider twice a year, we wait for them to go into uh, heart failure or, you know, some type of big issue that costs $650,000 instead of 200 bucks. So understanding the math behind it, I, I still have concerns, uh, policy concerns, uh, that most would have on the idea of making someone a health care ward of the state if they're in a, a, on a commercial plan today. Um, the idea of providing something for someone who is able to work and is not uh, for their entire life, that does not 
sit with me. I, I don't believe in that. I don't think it's good for society. But as I, I looked at the math and realized that 63% of these people are working today, about 23% are either caring for someone that's disabled or they have some type of, um, you know, some, some condition, maybe they're not declared uh, disabled yet, but they can't work. 7% are students. So when I start doing the math and adding these things up, I realize that those are the people that everyone you know, conservatives, everyone, and, and, and other states, we're fine helping those people. So it's 93% of people in that population that we all say, yeah, okay, I've got no problem with that. It's the 7% where we have sincerely held concerns about whether or not that is good policy. And that's very reasonable to me. But when I look at it and I think, so we're saying it's 93% good, you know, that's that's an A, uh, and I understand the financial impact on everyone out there who's on commercial insurance. And when I think about the the one point five billion dollars that um, you know we could have as a state, that helps keep our tax reductions in place that we already have. Maybe provide a bridge to some additional ones. Maybe provide some money for additional expenses that we see coming or don't see coming. Uh, it just from a fiscal standpoint, I can make it make sense at the state level. I can't tell you it's great fiscal policy at the federal level, but I don't control that. And I feel like as a fiscal conservative, uh, I need to control what expenses I'm able to control in the, the best interest of our citizens. So how long do you think the where the divide there on everyone agreeing on like the actual language in the bill? I've seen them come to agreement in the past. It typically takes a while. Uh, you know, they are both attorneys and attorneys tend to do things a certain way. Um, I've seen them reach agreement with the governor, who's also an attorney. Um, it takes a little longer, but I've, I've seen them get there in the past. And I, I feel like we will get there in the long session. We asked uh, Senator Berger was in, in Raleigh this past week for just a skeletal session. The House had a session was the long farewells, but the, the Senate was in and out. And Berger basically said that, you know, it's on the list. Um, when Where it is on the list is to be determined. But his very first one was the um, everyone's favorite topic, including mine, the state budget. So we're going to take a quick break, talk a little bit about the budget and other issues coming up with Senator Perry. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm News and Observer Politics reporter Don Vaughn here with State Senator Jim Perry, a Kinston Republican. Before the break, we talked about Perry's career in politics, how he got here, and about Medicaid expansion, which is one of the big issues coming up this, this legislative session that we're about a month out from, uh, maybe a little bit less. So they'll have the day and then come back a few weeks after that. Uh, I also mentioned the budget. And you are on um, approps and, of course, uh, health approps. So 
Where do you see, um, do you think Medicaid expansion would be part of the budget again or just its own thing ahead of time? Or is this all really a, to be determined once everybody's there in the building? I, I think that is to be determined about how to handle uh, Medicaid expansion. Uh, there would have to be agreement, obviously, for it to finally end up in the budget if it was there. Um, I think you will see you know, continued discipline on uh, the growth of recurring expenses. And so many people don't understand. They see a pot of money as a surplus and they say, hey, you should put that in X. Or, you know, they talk about salaries a lot. You can't use non-recurring funds for recurring expense. All you're doing is digging a hole for yourself. It's like if you win, you know, $10,000 playing bingo on Saturday night and you go buy a car with a payment you can't do that. You have to go buy the car that you can pay for and buy insurance for with that $10,000 because that's non-recurring money. Unless you have a guarantee you're going to win bingo every Saturday night, and then you're probably going to jail because you're cheating somewhere. Uh, so, you know, you have to match up those funds with the expenses. So it's it's not as, as simple as some would think. Raises, of course, with... Um just the inflation and people looking at how much everything costs and then what their paychecks are. And of course, you know, tens of thousands of people work for the state government and that's the most important thing in the budget to them. They like everything else, but they also want to get paid or they'll go somewhere else, maybe sure. the private sector. So I know the Senate is generally more conservative on raises than the House, but the budget starts in the House this year, right? Sure. So do you think there's going to be some maybe a little more willingness on the Senate side for that number to reach closer to what the House's usual pitch is. And then, of course, there's the balance with that and what the tax rate is. And Senator Newton, who is a big fan of, of tax cuts, is um, in a, a majority leader, not a leadership position. I don't know if you think that will come into play at all. So I, I think that um, we, we don't approach it from the idea of going closer to one body or the other. Uh, the approach that the majority of our caucus believes in, based upon conversations I've had over time, is that you must always control the growth of spending. You know, if you look back ex historically and what happened in 2007, 8, and 9, uh, 9 specifically, revenue was growing at 1%, but expenses were growing at about 9%. That's a classic bubble. You, you can't do that. That's not sustainable. And that's what happens when you allow the spending to spike up to 9% per year, um, you know, and then the next year, 7 or 11 or whatever it is, it is better to um, be more constrained in that growth of spending so that you can weather those times. You know, people say, we want to go back to the 2000s. I'm like, do you really? Do you remember what happened because of that? We had a, what, a $20 billion budget at the time. And in 2009, we only had about $150,000 in the rainy day fund. If I do that in my personal life, you, you call me reckless, right? I, I don't have enough money on the sidelines. So it, it's a delicate balance trying to ease some of the pain. And we have areas like in healthcare where people can jump to the private market very easily. Well, if we don't have these facilities staffed, it's not just a, a pain in the neck for Secretary Kinsley and his team, but... There's no one available to provide care for someone. I mean, people really can die in those situations. Um, so, you know, healthcare is going to be crazy on the cost. We have uh, law enforcement. I know when we finally implemented a, a pay change in the pay plan, like for state troopers, 
that was already about four or five years after the conversation started. So it was already dated a bit. And when people have an opportunity to leave a profession where they put their life on the line, you know, they can actually lose their life. Um, it tends to be impactful. So we've got a lot of things to balance. And it's tough to deal with a single issue advocate on that who, who wants everything for one department. You know, we've got a lot of employees to try to uh, to help and we need to be prudent. All right. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, of course, the budget is top of mind for for a lot of us. But the other legislation that I think obviously it's a national issue and that it's now um, a significant statewide issue, which is because of the Supreme Court throwing abortion restrictions back to the states. And that's up to the legislature now. The uh, the Republicans have a supermajority in the Senate, just barely and short of one in the House. And if you listen to Speaker Moore, he'll say he has Democrats that will vote with him to give that operating supermajority. Of course, no Democrats are saying that. And there's a Democratic governor or they're not saying it yet until the vote's called. Where do you think uh, things will be as far as uh, any sort of legislation about abortion restrictions that that moves, not just that's filed, but that actually moves? Yeah, and and thanks for uh, you know recognizing the difference in those. So I, I think if you look at North Carolina, any polling data, and you have to have polling data to understand how North Carolinians feel. Otherwise, you just know how your friends feel, right? Your little echo chamber. Uh, I think the majority of North Carolinians believe that at some point there is a baby involved, a different being. When it's got 10 fingers, 10 toes, you know, it can smile, turn around in the womb. So I, I believe that on the whole, people believe that at some point you are killing a baby with an abortion, right? So very few people believe that you should be able to go up to nine months and have an abortion, uh, on the other side of the issue, um, very few people believe that there should be no exceptions. So we've got these these two wings. And I'll tell you, I don't believe that there should be no exceptions. I'm the father of three daughters. And, you know, I don't ask anyone to agree with me. This is just my opinion. But if, if you think that I would have one of my daughters uh, have the horrible experience of being raped and then I want there to be a state law that forces her to relive that and carry that child and go through the whole process of, of labor. I, mentally, the impact on one of my daughters or your daughters, I don't want anyone telling someone they have to do that. I don't believe in it. I understand some people feel differently, and that is for their daughter and their family to decide. So, you know, I believe there is room for conversation on this. What What is it? About 95% of industrialized nations are sometime after that, that first trimester. Um, I, I think if we look at polling data and based on conversations I've had with members, there's a lot of different opinions. But I, it'd be difficult for me to see uh, anything extreme passing the General Assembly. Do you think it could be just, I mean, it's at 20 weeks now, and when Berger talks about it, he adds, if anything, but also expects there's something to advance. Could there be a lot of arguments and then nothing? Or is that, again, I, I know where it's all like projection. Is that still, you know, it depends on how it pans out on committees and between lawmakers, you know, in their own caucus or publicly? I, I, well, I, I think it's about discussions amongst individual lawmakers. And I'm not going to get out in front of the caucus on that. And uh, 
prognosticate about what that that may be. I do know any bill that gets filed, you know, by any Republican automatically is owned by all Republicans. And my good friend, uh, Senator Michael Lee, was uh, really beaten up on this topic in an unfair manner um, because it did not represent Michael Lee's views on uh, the topic of abortion, which largely fall in line with mine. Um, so, you know, we'll be labeled as extremists for even having the conversation, but I, I do think it's reasonable for people to have differing viewpoints and have the ability to have a conversation. Now, the House will be different. There's more of them. They can file whatever bills they want, maybe, you know, depending on where that moves or not. So before we get to headliner of the week, I want to talk a little bit about the House versus the Senate. And you're a little more familiar with the House. Tell us why you are, even though you're a senator. So when I had to fight legislation uh, years ago, it had already passed the Senate. Uh, so I had to get to know members of the House to, to fight the legislation then. And uh, I had a new lawmaker in my district who ran against the then uh, House Rules Chairman, and he, he beat him and he became my lawmaker. And that is the current majority leader of the House, um, John Bell. So John was my uh, state rep, and we formed a relationship over time, and I just got to know a, a lot of members. So, you know, my relationships are probably a little different than what you've seen historically with a lot of the, the friction. Uh, you know, we still have different faults on different issues, but we, we have some uh, you know, some underlying history there to lean on and uh, makes our conversations a little easier. What's something people don't know about John Bell that maybe people in his, his district know that the state doesn't or that those of us that know him through the legislative building don't see? Yeah, so... Uh, that, that he wouldn't mind you uh, telling publicly and on record oh, for oh, all come time. Come on, I know the rules. I know how this works. I wouldn't, wouldn't betray my good friend. Um, so John is actually, uh, has become a really avid hunter. And he enjoys uh, hunting. He, we we do spend a lot of time duck hunting together when when we can and when we can find it. Uh, but he actually just killed a huge black bear, uh, over six hundred pounds, uh, six hundred and twenty two pounds, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was his first time going bear hunting, and he had that. It, that is the kind of luck he has. You know, it's really, really kind of aggravating for that. I, he uh, never really done a lot of hunting, and that is a monster accomplishment uh, for someone who who hunts. Uh, black bear don't don't really get that large, so it was a big deal. Speaker Moore has a, a black bear uh, trophy in his <laughs> TELUS does. So yeah, I think theirs look more like raccoons compared to the one that. Uh, Peter <laughs> Bell killed. And uh, Senator Berger has a lot of taxidermy in his office. So do you have any in yours? I do. I have some. Yeah. All right. Uh, so on that note, let's uh, segue to uh, our headliner of the week, which uh, may be a little bit lighter. And we've had a run this past month or so of some uh, common common topics of headliners. So we'll see if, if that keeps up. Uh, Senator Perry, you, you go first. Who or what is your headliner of the week? Well, you know, I, I listen to the podcast, so I am pleased to keep your streak alive. Uh, my headliner of the week is the 
2022 Lou Groza Place Kicker Award winner from NC State, Christopher Dunn. Such a big deal for a, a young man from Lexington who has come in and really impacted that program. Been so consistent, just a class act. Very happy for him. I think that's something like his, his fifth All-America level uh, award that we've seen come out. Just super happy for him. All right. Well, I don't have a sports one because the Hokies aren't very headliney lately. So, um, but yeah, that's great for state. <laughs> um, my headliner is in a similar vein of what I've been talking about lately, the holidays, because I'm really into all of that. Uh, and it's uh, also about the legislature. The legislative building has a lot of staff that are usually not in headlines or not in speeches on the floor, but they uh, work really hard over there for those of us that spend a lot of time in that building. And the legislative building Christmas decorations, there are three trees. There are two really large ones. One you can see from outside if you're driving downtown. And there are beautiful wreaths and poinsettias everywhere and greenery and the lighting. And a reminder for those of us, um, those of you who are in the Raleigh area, that the legislative building is a public building. It you know, has business hours and everything, but you can come take a look at that yourself or go see the Capitol tree on the grounds, which was finally lit, even though it was late, which was my, yeah. my headliner last week. But I think the legislative building decorations went up a little earlier because I drove by and had planned to, um, to go check those out. So... All right. Well, Senator Perry, thank you for, for joining me. And maybe once sessions in, you'll come back. Sure, um, sure. Thanks for having me. Or I'll ask Bill to uh, say some things about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.